0: Hi, welcome to Too Close to the Sun Art
1: Obsessions from Mercury 20 Gallery in Oakland's Art District. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schur, and this episode, Unraveled, will feature a conversation with three gallery member fiber artists, Christine Muris, Andrea Brewster, and Ruth Tabake. They will be joined by internationally acclaimed textile artist, Leah Cook. California College of the Art Professor Emerita and recipient of the 2022 Gold Award for Consummate Craftsmanship from the American Craft Council.
2: My name is Christine Muris and I am a fiber artist, but could be a collage artist that sews or a fiber artist that works with Book arts materials, I mostly sew paper that's adhered to bookbinding cloth. And I sew the paper together and I make patterns on it, wall hangings and things that resemble textiles. And a lot of my source material is from textiles. I can't seem to want to make the actual textile, but I want to riff on it endlessly, pushing towards working more in traditional fiber methods.
3: Leo, I became... What you would call, I guess, a fiber artist. After doing all other kinds of artwork, I looked at textiles being made in Mexico and I collected a lot of textiles and I learned the technology of weaving. I made a a rule for myself to always have weaving as a part of anything I did, even if I was mostly painting it. I consider myself a textile artist.
4: Well, my name's Andrea Brewster, and I'm also currently a textile artist, but uh, not necessarily throughout my entire uh, art-making life have I been predominantly textiles. I spent five, eight years just making these tatted things, but they're very slow, and it's a very time-consuming process. And I suddenly feel like I, I got to break out of this I got to do something fast you know I can't spend my whole life sitting in a chair so now I'm moving into this 3D printed pens but it's still working with a line and it's still working with a filament which is basically a thread it's just a thread of melted plastic instead of a thread of cotton or nylon I'm still approaching it from the standpoint of somebody who's a threadhead. It also relates to drawing. I mean, it's the thread to me is more like a line and I can bring it into space in a way that I can't just drawing it on paper.
0: I'm Ruth Tabanga. I consider myself a fiber artist mostly because I started working with sugar about five years ago and I don't think I'm quite done with it. But mostly I work with techniques, like right now, a lot of embroidery. I work with crochet. I'm really fascinated with this rotary knitting machine that I acquired a few years ago. I've done some jacquard weaving with a computerized jacquard loom. I guess another non-fiber technique that I've become enamored with is a scanning electron microscope. And mostly I've used that to work with the jacquard weaving to weave images. It's really important for me that the materials have some inherent meaning. Like with the tea bags that I used to make quilts in the past, that tea bags had physical warmth and psychological warmth. They reminded me of my daughter because we used to drink tea and do our homework together, snuggled in comforters. Tea bags uh, talk to me about thrift, about recycling. So there's a lot of meanings for tea bags. Uh, Right now, I'm working a lot with embroidering on plastic bags. Stitches I'm using look like bacteria, fungi, and maggots. That organisms like those hopefully will evolve to digest the humongous amounts of plastic that are clogging the earth. And while that's been shown in the laboratory, it's not practical on a large scale. There's also the issue of introducing a new organism into an environment where it did not naturally evolve. So we wouldn't want organisms that are digesting plastics to, for example, to digest our contact lenses or computers or other things like that, things that
2: we've found essential to modern life. So when I think about using technology in my art, I don't really.
3: Leah, what do you think? In terms of computer technology and handwork, I use the term high-tech, low-tech. I use a computer to feed information to the loom, but I weave by hand, and I step on a pedal, and I change the colors like you would make tapestry as I go. So the computer allows me to make spontaneous changes in a short period of time.
4: For a while, when my daughter was young, I worked... A lot on the computer. And I found it not very satisfying. And I think that's what maybe pushed me towards working with textiles because I wanted something that was much more tactile. At the time, I needed something portable and tactile. <laughs> and uh, the tatting really that fit that bill for me. And also, I think the thing that is a dominant factor for me is the quality of repetition and the sort of, dare I say, obsessive <laughs> quality of textiles. There's something very grounding, peaceful, calming about that. My most recent foray in with the 3D pen, yeah, it's a technological tool, but it's allowing me to do that same repeated motions, building up form. By repeating over and over and over again. It's feeling familiar in
2: that way. It's- I also find the tedium and repetition to be actually really meditative and grounding.
3: When I taught, I wanted to allow and encourage students to follow their own passions rather than me telling them what was good and bad. Uh, to encourage students to be experimental and go with their own flow. And this reminded me to keep doing the same myself. My earliest memories of Ruth was a 2D beginning class I taught. I was so amazed that she was a doctor and chose to go to art school and become an artist. I thought that was a really good example of following your passions. And later on, she also did early experimentation with Jacquard.
0: When I was in that group of students who learned to use the computerized Jacquard loom at CCA, I was looking for images to weave because you know, I have a history of microbiology. I had written to the author of one uh, scanning electron microscope text, and he denied me permission to use any of his mm-hmm. images in my work. So I started investigating and looked at a couple different places in the Bay Area where I might be able to use a scanning electron microscope. And the place where I had the most success was at the scanning electron microscope lab at UC Berkeley. And they were very generous in sharing equipment with me and teaching me. So mostly what I ended up taking pictures of was scanning electron micrographs of different kinds of fabric. And those are the images that I eventually used in my weaving using the looms at CCA, using looms from two other artists who owned jacquard looms. Eventually I or was given the Leah Cook jacquard residency at CCA to have a month to work with their jacquard loom. Technology's not my friend. I didn't love it. The machine breaks down, it snaps threads. It's not very tactile. You're weaving by hand. But what makes that group of weavings different from all the other ones I've done with scanning electron micrograph images of fabric is that I went back in and worked portions of each of those weavings by hand. So I could get my hands back into something that was pretty much all technology driven.
2: The weavings of images of fabric, it's so um, conceptual.
3: It's a weaving of a weaving. I had images of cloth as subject matter. Lots of parts of the family images had textiles and cloth. And particularly, the touch of the hand on cloth became important to me. Eventually, I went to the face. you
2: worry about archival
3: issues? Having your work archival is somewhat important, but not completely. Textile conservators can be obsessive about the material, whereas fine art general curators are much more open to experimental materials.
2: If a collector is taking a piece of yours home, do you feel worried about the materials holding up over time?
3: Mostly my work is archival. I
2: have worried about that a lot because as I said,
0: that i worked almost exclusively with tea bags for 11 years. And, you know, I didn't have that long history to know if they would last for more than 10 years because There are material you would put in the compost bin. I also then had a hard time pricing something that could disintegrate in a few years, but I still have the work that I made in the year 2000. And as long as it's dry, it holds up really well. It still smells like tea. However, (laughs) I did spend some time working with wool. And the first large piece I made was a big quilt where I had incorporated tea bags into the layers of felt. The acids in the tea, I believe, ate away at the wool. After a period when I had stored it, I unrolled it. And I was shocked to see all these moth eggs and casings (laughs) all over the quilt
4: and it was ruined. And Andrea? Some of the tatting pieces are nylon thread, So I think that's gonna be pretty long lasting. Some of the more recent things that I've just done, I made the pieces out of paper thread. I even made the pedestals out of cardboard. If it's gonna be transient, well, let's just make it as transient as possible.
0: I've actually never sold a tea bag piece. I don't think I've even sold, I haven't sold anything made out of wool either. So nothing that I've made that I'm afraid of disintegrating has been sold.
2: I do use all archival materials as much as I possibly can. I don't work with a lot of materials that are cast off. I think about it in the sense if someone wants to buy it, I don't want them to feel like they got a raw deal. You know, with all the work I'm making, I kind of want my kids to pick five things they like and then burn
3: the rest. (laughs) I'm already in a lot of museums. It's just, you want to place your work. Talking about archives, I have a stack of work here to get collected. You just don't want to keep storing them or giving them to your relatives.
4: I think we all struggle with that. My husband's also an artist. And so, you know, we're just filled to the gills (laughs) with stuff.
2: And we just want to keep making more. The more you're interested in process, the more you can let go of product, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's an interesting conundrum. I think textiles, of all the
0: techniques, kind of depends a lot on the process. A lot of people
4: who are in textiles talk about the meditation and the repetition. I started tatting because my daughter was young and I was taking her to like swimming lessons and I couldn't leave the place. So... I use that time to make things. I would bring out my little tatting things and I'd be making something. Every once in a while, somebody would come and approach me and I would say, oh, I'm doing this thing called tatting. And invariably they said, oh, my grandmother used to do that or my great grandmother used to do that. And nobody ever had encountered a contemporary person who actually
2: did this. I was making a big sewn paper piece with octagons and lurid colors. And I was trying to really free myself. I made this huge thing that took months and then I brought it to a critique group and I just hated it. I'm just going to throw it away. And everybody was like, (gasps) and so the um, person who ran the critique group said, I'm just going to put it in a trash bag, keep it safe at my house. You can, you know, when you're ready to see it again. It'll be here. Three years later, she was remodeling her house. And she's like, would you get this out of here? When I was starting out,
4: I went to uh, the fabric store and I found this thread that I really liked. And I, you know, I was making things. I made a whole bunch of things with this great thread and I loved it. And then I went one day and there was none on the shelf. And I'm like, oh, well, it must just be sold out. I'll, I'll go to another store and I'll get it. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I found out that it had been discontinued. <laughs> so it really threw my process for a loop at that point, because I'd had this whole body of work and, that was just based on this, this one particular thread. And I had to basically start all over.
3: I use certain materials that I've had for 30, 40 years, and I still have them. <laughs> and you can't get them anywhere. <laughs> I shipped tons of stuff from Japan when I was working with this particular wool yarn that was used for making machinery in the late 1800s in England. I went all the way there and I shipped tons of it here. That's what I did if I found something I liked.
2: When I go to the store and get thread, often I'm just getting a bunch of different thread. And so people say, what's your project? (laughs) And I'll say, oh, this is like me buying paint.
0: (laughs) I'm primarily... Working with fiber, but I started working with sugar a few years ago and I don't feel like I'm done with it. The way I got into sugar is that I was looking for a material that I could mold into a hexagon because I'm really enamored with the hexagon patterning and the hexagon grid. I think I've already cooked at least 200 pounds of sugar. It gets thrown away because there's no way to archive it. I slow down the process of. Degrading it by coating the hexagons with polyurethane. Once air gets in there, if there's any moisture in there, it'll start to degrade the sugar. It's something that I still want to work with because I'm still in love with the patterning and trying to figure out what more I can do with it. Once I got brave with cooking sugar, then I started cooking it to different temperatures to see what would happen. And at the lower temperatures, I would say less than like 400, you know, I would put this series of molded sugars, sugar hexagons outside and below 400 degrees, ants or bugs would invariably eat them up or they'd melt. Once I got to the stage when you cook sugar till it's almost brown black, it's still liquid. You can pour that into a mold and the ants won't come and get it. It melts slowly over time, which is something that The lower temperature sugar does not do. So, I've been using that as a way to make some time based work. It's really easy to clean up after a a show because I just throw all the sugar away. That is
4: fascinating. I think I'm really somebody who draws, but I can't draw. So, I do all these other things as drawing substitutes. The idea of combining different materials together in different ways and different techniques, I think that that's driven my, my practice. Most recently it's been paper and 3D printing pen and I can't really say where it might take me in the future. I'm very inspired by fiber quilts but I've never made a quilt and I don't know if I'm ever going to. It seems very daunting as a process to me but I'm still very inspired by it in the way quilters think and the colors and the patterns. <music>
3: done a lot of research. Many years before, it actually became useful. I do it because I'm interested in it and not because I'm doing it for a particular reason. And often, it's something that comes out of the research I didn't expect at all. I have collaborated in different ways in a kind of general way with scientists, such as neuroscience and the emotional research. Many of them were also artists in their own right, musicians or ceramic artists. So they understood art. I had my brain imaged and and put into the artwork. University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, the Schneider Lab did the MRI imaging of my brain so that I could actually see the fibers.
0: I feel like fiber is more amenable to that than a lot of other techniques. Mm -hmm. You know, people all working on a quilt together or trading squares. And my friend, Jennifer, she had people from all over the world submitting panels to contribute stitches to the 25 Million Stitches Project. Even though you don't know the other people, submitting to a project on that huge of a scale, it still creates community. That's something that I would like to explore more. I submitted to that. (laughs) We collaborated. 25 million? Yes, we did. (laughs) Because I submitted to that too.
4: (laughs) I think it's a little bit interesting, though, because at the same time, we talked about this meditative process that is so personal and so intimate, but that at the same time, something can bind us together in that way. I think that's very interesting.
3: Some of my early work in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s uh, was quite large. Mostly they came from commissioned works, and I had many people working with me Later on in my career, I moved to a more what I call human scale. So, pieces sort of the size of a human being. And now, recently, even smaller still. I think there was discrimination against textiles. It was looked at as a craft, not a fine art. As in the Western European tradition, it just was something to fight against.
0: In the past five years, I've made 30 pairs of socks. I've made sweaters in the past. I've knit many scarves. But for me, my artwork always has to have a conceptual basis. Mm -hmm. And I can use a rotary knitting machine and I can crochet miles and miles of, of yarn. But I've been doing that with the hyperbolic theory underlying it. I've done a ton of embroidery. What I do is use the embroidery to give a message. Right now, the message is microorganisms eating plastic. I'm using that edge.
2: It seems to me that the boundary is about class and gender and that it's a way to separate artists from each other. And I push against it all the time I just think of myself as someone who takes the patterns and the ideas behind textile art and just elevates and plays with them. I think there is a prejudice against craft. And I've definitely been told by at least one art consultant that it's very hard to place such feminine art in corporate settings. I think that's a very useless and unkind barrier put between the two.
4: I think it has been changing, though. The
3: art world is looking more at the broader history of art and the broader cultural history of art. I think it is very hot right now, so it's a good time
4: to be working in it. I think that the the, the traditional crafts have become more and more and more moving towards fine art. I have to make a distinction between the craft people who are working at home, they're not showing in galleries, and then the craft people who are. There are definitely lots of people who are amazing craftspeople. Like I couldn't even come close to the skill that they have, but often they're very traditional. They're following, you know, very traditional paths. And that's fine. But there's also some folks out there who are not doing that, who are just like branching out in all directions and really pushing the boundaries.
1: Thanks to moderator Christine Muris, Andrea Brewster, Ruth Tabake, and Leah Cook for sharing your histories, insights, and experiences. See their work and links to their websites at mercury20.com and leahcook.com. Our podcasts are available anywhere you get your podcasts and are also linked from mercury20.com. Please visit the website and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for past and future episodes. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schur, for Too Close to the Sun Art Obsessions. Thanks for listening.